Good morning, Jim. How are you doing? Okay, okay. Hey, uh, this is the first week of uh, the month of February, and you know what that means. That means it was Groundhog Day. Yeah, Punxsutawney Phil. Now, I can't remember what uh, what he... Uh, what what he saw? Did he see his shadow, or did he I not see his shadow? Don't believe he saw his shadow, which means we have six more weeks of winter. Oh my word! Ooh. However, yes, the upside of that is that it's only forty-two or three days until spring. Okay, well, good enough. Um, I hope the snow goes away by by spring. Oh, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember one time you and I went fishing on the 24th of uh, May up in northern Ontario, and there was still snow in the bush. In the bush, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that night it was uh, probably the uh, the closest winter that I ever spent in summer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, hey, it just occurs to me here, Ralph. We're reminiscing a little bit, and uh, that makes me think of memory. And okay, well you can't reminisce unless you have memory of some kind. Mm -hmm. I was reading an article uh, the other day and uh, they were talking, they were lamenting the effect of uh, the pandemic on memory. Oh, that, how did how did the pandemic affect memory? Well, uh, one of the things that was, they, was said in the article was that uh, it, when people uh, were working from home uh, or weren't working at all. They'd sit on the couch, drink white claw, you know, uh, veg out on uh, uh, Netflix and stuff. So they weren't really using their, their brains very much. And that the days seemed to merge together. And that I've noticed that. You know, it's uh, hard for me to say exactly what last February uh, was like. Except, well, we didn't go to Florida, I know that, but yeah. you know, May well, I remember better because that's when Sheila got sick, but, you know, there were no, no kind of landmarks for, for memory. Uh, that's true, and one of the things that I think uh, a lot of people suffered from this, uh, this last couple of years was sort of COVID stress, whether in fact they got COVID or not. Uh, a lot of people felt really, really stressed out. Yeah, because uh, the the routine had uh, gotten upset, right? Yeah, and uh, one of one of the things that uh, that I think is true uh, from what we know about stress is stress affects memory formation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, in that what. We don't pay attention to some things, or we, we don't pay we don't, too much attention to other things. Yeah, we tend to become either laser-like focused on uh, what am I going to do to pay my bills? Oh, the government is sending some money. Oh, that's good, but it's not enough to pay my bills. <laughs> worry, worry, worry. Or we become totally distracted and, uh, you know, sit there watching... Uh, everything that Netflix will uh, will send us and going, oh my, yeah, now I'll watch. <laughs> okay, so those are some of the, the reasons why people, you know, complain about memory, uh, memory problems. You know, memory is interesting. It's probably the most studied uh, thing 
in psychology, most studied concept in psychology, going back to Ebbinghaus. And uh, a while ago, we talked to uh, Dr. Ratani about his work with, with memory. memory and a thing called hypernesia, um, which is remembering things that you've already forgotten, which is kind of interesting. Um, but um, it always amazes me that if you do a search on memory, you'll come up with new things. All the time, there's you know new stuff that's new stuff that's yeah. happening. When I did my doctoral dissertation, it was on a topic in short-term visual memory in five and six-year-old children. And guess what? Nobody had done that before. You okay, know, just so yeah. So uh, memory is uh, uh, oft studied, but somehow we're really really only getting to the to the point of completely understanding, or almost completely understanding, the mechanisms of memory. Yeah, and one of the studies that I looked at uh, from uh, UT Southwestern is kind of uh, an interesting thing because this particular study, uh, they found 103 neurons. Okay, that's now, not very many neurons. How many neurons do we have, Jim? Uh, A billion? Well, more than a billion. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when you, you remember back to uh, billions and billions of stars, well, mm -hmm. billions and billions of neurons, and here we're zooming in on 103. You know, that's some of the new technology that I didn't have when I was doing my research. You know, people are using uh, uh, magnetic imaging to really look at the, the mechanisms of, you know, where memory is located, how it's stored. Yeah, yeah we can actually now see the neurons firing, mm -hmm. which is how they zeroed in on these 103 with uh, what they call fMRI, functional memory. Uh, and so we have uh, the neurons in the prefrontal, Okay. And the neurons in the hippocampus. Yeah. Okay, so in the prefrontal, it seems that we form short-term memories. Okay. So think back to a year ago, Jim, when uh, you and your wife attended uh, the uh, 25th wedding anniversary get-together for Karen and I. Okay, yeah. And at the end of that get-together, we were sitting in uh, the patio talking to two people that you hadn't met, Tom and Leslie. Right. Now, th the next day, if I had talked to you about Tom and Leslie and what we talked about, you probably would have retrieved that from short-term memory. Yep. But if I ask you today, what did we talk about with Tom and Leslie? Not a clue. Not a clue? Mm. Well, actually, we talked about podcasting. Aha, uh -huh, okay. But that would be something that was in long-term memory. Mm -hmm. And probably if I gave you some context clues, you could say, oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay. I remember that they live close to you. They live down the street from you. Yeah. That's that much I remember. Well, you know, the thing is that uh, long-term memory sometimes is more difficult to retrieve. Mm-hmm, yeah. So one of the things that can be questioned is, do we have a better storage mechanism than we have retrieval mechanism? 
Yeah, I can I, I can see that that is a, a well worth uh, well worth thinking about. You know, and and not only that, but is our retrieval mechanism faulty? And you know, you and I have looked at the work of Loftus, Elizabeth Loftus, in uh, eyewitness uh, testimony, and she has demonstrated that context is everything. In fact, the way you phrase questions uh, affects retrieval. Yeah, the the observer effect. Uh, you know, did you observe him speeding down the road in his car, or driving down the road, yeah. or coming down the road? And then you ask, well, how fast was he going? And the people who got the speeding um, uh, prompt say, you know, 45 miles an hour. People who got the driving prompt say, oh, 35 miles an hour. 45 yeah. being illegal, 35 being, you know. Being legal. Right. And the people who got the coming down the road maybe said, well, you know, he was doing about 30. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, you know, what you get from a witness depends on how you phrase the questions Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that uh, if you have ever watched uh, a police procedural show, uh, a crime show on television, one of the things you probably noticed is that the police do everything they can to keep the six eyewitnesses away from each other. Okay. Why would they do that? I guess uh, they feel that one witness might contaminate the memory of another? Yeah, because, you know, if, if you get a chance for the six people to talk it over, uh, the chances are that whoever is the strongest, loudest, uh, however you want to phrase it, person is going to influence what the others say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you have a uh, ordinary height Caucasian uh, wearing uh, a watch cap or do you have a six-foot-tall uh, Hispanic wearing a hoodie? Okay. Well, yeah. it, it depends on the individual witnesses mm -hmm. and their stories tend to converge if you give them a chance yeah. to that, talk to each other. And that's why eyewitness testimony is not the best testimony. No, I mean, police will go out of their way to um, to get other testimony, other evidence besides eyewitnesses. Yeah, and in recent years we've seen a lot of um, uh, convictions overturned with uh, new uh, DNA evidence. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is not what we're talking about today, but if our listeners could go to the Innocence Project and uh, see what kinds of things are, are uh, being done now to uh, free Innocent people, people who had been you know, wrongfully, wrongfully convicted, yeah. 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 And in some cases, these these convictions go back uh, 45, 50 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, when we talk about um, the memory formation and recall, mm -hmm. uh, there's a thing called phase offset. Okay, yeah. enlighten me. Well, phase offset is... Um, when you re-experience events. So how do you know that you're experiencing something or you're retrieving a memory? Well, in the firing of the 103 neurons we talked about, if you're experiencing something, there is no phase offset. But if you're retrieving something, 
there is. So one is slightly more delayed than the other. Okay. Now we wouldn't be able to, to consciously measure, measure this, but the MRI does. Does, okay. yeah. So, you know, when, when I say a phase offset, it's not, it's not like you're saying, oh yeah, there's a five minute delay here, or even a, a one second delay, it's, mm -hmm. it's in milliseconds. Yeah, it's more like the, the echo that you sometimes would uh, uh, perceive, like an echo on a computer. Okay, now you mentioned the uh, hippocampus. What, uh, so the prefrontal uh, lobes, that's where emotion is, that's where we are processing things. What's happening at the hippocampus? Well, that's where the long-term storage is. Aha, uh -huh. okay. Or that's where the long-term storage, maybe a better way to say it, is starts. Mm -hmm. Because it goes into the hippocampus and then it's diffused into a group of neurons. Yeah, and in fact, the hippocampus can be thought of as a, yeah, um, a network, a network. If, if you would, with a whole lot of connections to you know, various parts of the brain and actually various parts of the body because memory isn't all in the brain. You know, athletes have uh, what are called motor memories. I don't think that, uh, that uh, Aaron Rodgers has to think about how to, how to throw a football. You know, no. it's right in his arm. Yeah, and this is sometimes in, in general talk called muscle memory mm -hmm. okay. uh, yeah. or motor memory. Uh, and so we have, you know, these kind of memories in the body, memories in the brain, and you say, well, wait a minute, how then if we install a memory through the hippocampus into this neural network, into these neurons, uh, well, why do we forget things? Okay. And the answer to that? Is. Well, uh, because it goes back to the uh, the thing that we used to say, uh, use it or lose it. Okay. And you, know, you and I this week have been looking at a number of, of uh, studies with um, memory. And I think that the use it or lose it is um, uh, very apt with when talking about memory. Um, but there's another thing that was kind of interesting in one of the things we looked at. And uh, let's see, this was a study uh, where it was done fa uh, sort of fails me. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> but it, the, uh, the researchers were looking at uh, the role of sleep, which okay. seems to be sort of paradoxical if you're thinking of uh, you know, not being aware, not being conscious. But sleep seems to be a very important part of consolidating memory. Yeah. So that things that are in short-term memory get into long-term memory uh, after we have a good night's sleep. So one of the things that might countervail that is something happens to you, let's say something dramatic, like you're, you're involved in a, uh, a minor uh, auto crash. Mm -hmm. So that's in your short-term memory uh, maybe, maybe it happened at three in the afternoon. Uh, so that night you lie down and sleep and except you don't sleep very well. Yeah. Yeah. 
the next day, maybe it could be that your memory of the auto crash that you were with involved in, even though it was a minor mm-hmm. auto crash, it may, maybe it's not so clear in your memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sleep improves memory. And I do remember now where the researchers were. They were in uh, uh, Israel at uh, Deaconess Medical Center. Deaconess Medical Center. Okay. Okay. And uh, something else, though, that's kind of interesting with, uh, with memory is that we can, through training, uh, improve our memory. And we've got a couple of uh, uh, talks uh, under uh, Learn More that actually demonstrate this. Now, you and I have talked about people who remember a long series of numbers. You know, okay, like yeah, 500 yeah, numbers. Yeah. Um, Memory athletes, they're yeah. now calling. Right. Well, you've pointed out to me that there might not be a lot of survival value in memorizing those 500 numbers, but there is a method called the method of loci, which, um, in which people remember what we'd call useful kinds of information through um, internalizing uh, uh, stories. And okay. one of the uh, uh, people with Learn More talks about uh, the, uh, the, how that is being, being used. And it goes way, way back to, uh, I think uh, Cicero would be able to uh, tell hundreds and hundreds of stories very, very accurately um, because he was the, you know, that was the demand back in the day. If you're well, in one village, you want to make sure you tell the same story in the next village. And he'd be able to do this through this method of loci. Yeah, and, and, you know, when you think of it, in virtually every pre-literate culture, uh, people pass down stories, ideas, concepts, ways of doing things, uh, which they couldn't write down. And, you know, writing down uh, uh, a story in some senses is is a grand thing because then the story becomes consistent and it's time binding it it uh, is always the same over time and the other thing is that it uh, it may not be uh, as great because then it doesn't allow the storyteller to shift the emphasis in the story, tell, still tell the same story, but shift the emphasis so that it becomes uh, more important in certain aspects than it does the way he told it another time. Okay, yeah, so we can vary it. It's, it's not just a recording. Yeah. That, uh, that. Another thing that um, was in some of the research that I looked at had to do with the effects of exercise. In this particular study, a group of people had, uh, I think there were three groups, uh, and uh, one group um, uh, learned a a series of of numbers or words, and the the average was about 26. Uh, Then that group exercised, and uh, no additional training, and they were able to uh, uh, recall uh, twice as many Okay, the words yeah. on the list, and um, uh, the group that didn't exercise were essentially the same. And then they were tested, oh, I think four months later, and the group that exercised still retained the 
um, the 40 or 50 wards. The interesting thing is that the group that didn't exercise uh, retained more wards um, than they had previously. Previously they'd retained 26 wards and now they retrieve uh, 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 33 words. Okay, so not as many as the exercise group, but more than they had in the first trial. Yeah, which, which is Dr. Atani's hypernesia. Hypernesia, yeah. So they were able to get out from their memory system more than they did immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. So consolidation had gone on. Yeah. But not as much as when people exercised. Yeah, and so, we're talking physical exercise, not uh, memory exercise, which yeah. is kind of interesting. And and here's, I guess, the thing for for most of us, Jim, I guess, if we're looking at uh, lessons about improving our memory. Uh, number one, get good sleep. Number two, exercise. And number three, uh, have a good diet. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't immediately have a study in mind for that, but uh, I know there have been a number of studies that suggest that people who have poor nutrition do not remember things as well as people who have good or what we call adequate nu nutrition. Mm -hmm. So the whole area of memory is, uh, even though it's been studied for a long, long time, is very complex and we are learning new things all the time. And you know another thing Jim that uh, we could talk about uh, maybe we will in more uh, detail later on is uh, in schizophrenia it seems that people uh, who are schizophrenic are retrieving partially and mixed up and confounded real memories that uh, appear to them as hallucinations or appear to us as they try to process them as hallucinations. Yeah, in fact, next week we're going to be talking about some new dimensions in the study of uh, emotional disturbance. Maybe we'll get into that. So, until uh, next time, this is Jim and Ralph saying keep your stick on the ice because we're, we're all in this together. together.